0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to the podcast at the end of the universe. I'm your host, Elizabeth, and I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty tired this morning, but I'm not nearly as tired as yesterday, so I am cautiously optimistic that today's recording goes a little bit better. You will notice my lovely puppy, Rosie, in the background. She is a ball of energy, and it's either she's in the room with me, or she's just sort of wandering around or she's outside and barking her head off. So this is actually the quieter of the options. I'm really looking forward to today's episode. I've got a great topic for our history segment. So without any further ado, let's get started. Yesterday we talked about the first letter sent from North America by John Rutt to King Henry VIII. This was a critical moment in communication between North America and England and really helped educate the crown to what was available to be colonized. We are continuing on our theme of communication with today's history lesson, which is about a policy that went into effect or really stopped going into effect in the 1980s here in America. On August 4th, 1987, we had a significant turning point in the realm of media regulation here in the United States when the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, made the momentous and, some might argue, absurd decision to rescind the Fairness Doctrine. The Fairness Doctrine had been in place since 1949 and was a crucial regulatory policy aimed at ensuring broadcasters presented controversial issues in a balanced and fair manner. The Fairness Doctrine was born out of a desire to promote a diverse and well-informed public discourse. The doctrine required broadcasters to provide contrasting viewpoints on controversial topics, and it ensured viewers and listeners were exposed to a spectrum of opinions. The idea behind the Fairness Doctrine was to prevent media outlets from monopolizing public opinion and to avoid biased reporting that could distort democratic decision-making. But the 1980s happened, and the media landscape began to evolve rapidly. As a result, the Fairness Doctrine faced mounting criticism from various quarters. Advocates for rescinding the policy argued it infringed upon the freedom of speech and press, contending it compelled broadcasters to air views they may not otherwise choose to present. Critics argued this constituted government intervention in the media and stifled the flow of ideas and information. Under the leadership of FCC Chairman Mark Fowler, the commission revisited the doctrine and ultimately concluded the media landscape had changed significantly since its inception. Mark Fowler was the key figure in rescinding the Fairness Doctrine, as he was the Chairman of the SEC during the administration of President Ronald Reagan. Fowler was a staunch advocate of deregulation. He believed the Fairness Doctrine impeded freedom of the press and was no longer necessary. He argued the doctrine stifled competition and innovation in broadcasting. He argued the multitude of media outlets available at the time provided sufficient variety of perspectives without government intervention. Fowler's views aligned with the broader Reagan administration philosophy of reducing government regulation and interference in the economy, which conveniently included the media industry. With I don't know how many, I don't know how old my listeners are here, so I'm not sure how many people really remember the proliferation of cable television and how important it was that there were media outlets that were presenting views that were available to all sides But as the 1980s went on here we had cable television, satellite broadcasting, and then the emergence of alternative media outlets and it was in this context of where there was a more diverse array of voices in the media landscape that the FCC i.e. Mark Fowler, believed the Fairness Doctrine was really no longer necessary because there were so many media outlets available that people were able to just pick and choose which outlets they went to for their information. There were far, far fewer media outlets available to the common person than there are today, where today we can open up our laptop and we can just type in some keywords and obvious uh, algorithm meddling aside, we can generally find media outlets that agree with our biases, or at least present news in the similar slant to which we want to read it. This was not necessarily the case in the 1980s when the Fairness Doctrine was rescinded, and that's because of the way different media companies owned local news stations. <laughs> what ended up happening is we had these big media conglomerates who owned a very large number of small, independent, quote-unquote, independent news outlets, companies like Gannett Media, and they ended up controlling the narrative in a vast number of markets that otherwise, up until the recension of... recension? It's not a word. Um, up until the Fairness Doctrine was rescinded, were required to provide balanced and fair coverage. With the opponents of the Fairness Doctrine and Mark Fowler arguing that it had a chilling effect on journalistic freedom and it led to self-censorship among broadcasters, Because broadcasters feared potential legal repercussions for not providing equal time to opposing views. And by rescinding the doctrine, the FCC says they sought to promote a more robust and dynamic media environment, which was driven entirely by market forces and the preferences of the viewing public. But that is not, as we know, looking back, especially now through the lens of history, that is not what happened. We ended up with media outlets that really present their side. And when I was young, I didn't know anything about any of this because I grew up in a home without television. I did not have TV until I was 15, and then I kind of only sporadically here and there had access to regular television until I was in my early 20s. I still today. I have... Amazon Prime hooked up to a TV in my bedroom that I watch a few things before I fall asleep, but that's it. So I don't have media coming at me. It wasn't until I was in my early 20s living in California that I started to understand that these media companies that I had heard about had different biases. I, at this point in my life, I thought that Fox and CNN were pretty much the same thing, just on different channels. I had no idea. I did not understand how it worked. And I think something that happened as a result of the Fairness Doctrine being rescinded is we ended up with these media companies and these broadcasters who no longer have to present a balanced and truthful uh, perspective on the media, on the news, I should say. And so they lean to whatever way they politically as a company lean but there's i think a lot of people around my age who did not know that but this is not something that is widely talked about until you start to get into those political bubbles until you start paying attention to what is going on in politics and you tend to go into one camp or another and you're like oh all of the, everybody watches CNN is evil or everybody watches Fox is evil But until you find yourself in one of those camps, you don't know. Or at least I didn't, and neither did the people that I uh, informally polled for this episode. By rescinding the Fairness Doctrine, the FCC really did paint a portrait for what modern American media was going to be like. And this this is the reality in which we are living right now now that said just because it was rescinded does not mean this was without controversy critics worried that this would pave the way for biased reporting and propaganda and the proliferation of echo chambers in the media and if you look back that that's what happened like they they were right i mean especially looking back in 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 recent years critics argued that the absence of regulatory pressure to provide balanced coverage might lead to an increase in sensationalism And polarization again things that we have witnessed in the years that followed the fairness doctrine being rescinded the media landscape in the United States did undergo significant and profound changes there's the rise of the 24-hour news networks and thus the 24-hour news cycle there's the advent of the internet being literally at everybody's fingertips at all times the explosion of social media platforms further transformed how news and information are disseminated and consumed. The media ecosystem is fragmented. Audiences gravitate towards sources that align with their pre-existing beliefs and viewpoints. And that, <laughs> and why we are fundamentally psychologically inclined to do so, is a topic for yet another podcast episode. But this is Largely what is going on in today's world as a result of the Fairness Doctrine being rescinded in 1987 on August 4th. The decision, luckily, the decision to rescind the Fairness Doctrine is a subject of debate, still. People still talk about this. Thankfully, it's just not a very popular subject, but it does still come up. This is an ongoing debate with media scholars, policymakers, and advocates because some are arguing that it allowed for greater media freedom and innovation while others are contending that it has contributed to the rise of media polarization and the spread of disinformation. The FCC's decision to rescind the fairness doctrine, August 4th, 1987, was a pivotal moment in media regulation here in the United States. And by doing this, the government has signaled a shift away from mandating balanced and fair coverage of these controversial issues. They are letting, they say, market forces and the multiplicity of media outlets to shape the public discourse. And the problem with that is that we end up creating these echo chambers the media companies are going to do what they do best, which is make news that sells. That's all they want. They just want the money. And to get the money, they need our attention. And so they're going to create stories and present stories in ways that align with the biases of the people who already gravitate towards that network. And thus the cycle is just repeating itself. This move, they're... Rescinding of the Fairness Doctrine has had far-reaching implications, which has set the stage for the media landscape that we see today, which is, in fact, luckily characterized by a diverse array of voices, many of whom, the majority of whom, I completely disagree with on basically everything. But they are there. They are speaking. The challenge is finding them. The challenge is ensuring that you are listening to and finding people who are presenting news and information to you in a way that is not sensationalized that is not polarized that they're not doing this to create polarization and disharmony in a community they're just doing it to share information if you have any idea who is sharing information in a way that is fair and balanced and they're not doing it to sensationalize and drive a wedge in between groups within society. I would love to hear it. And please drop that into the Q&A over on Spotify, because this is, this has been a challenge for me as someone who just, I absorb information. I want information. And I I am smart enough to make my own decisions about what to do with that information, what to believe as a result of that information. I do not want the information presented to me with any particular bias, if that makes sense, from one political party or another. I just want the facts and just give me X, Y and Z. So if you know of anybody who is doing that, please, please send them my way so that I can I can start to follow them. Um, I have been perhaps one of the most uninformed people I know. I do not watch the news. I do not read the news. I have very little awareness of what is going on in the world because it is very difficult for me to find outlets that do not present news in a sensationalized way. This is a blessing and a curse. I do find I have a lot more mental space and a lot more free time. So there is always that. And with that said, we're going to move on to today's mindfulness, the meditation, the devotional, whatever you want to call it. In today's devotional meditation mindfulness, I want to talk about the concept of embracing non-attachment. It is so important as a human, as a cognitive being, as one who has a consciousness to learn how to let go of ideas and the attachment to ideas It is important to learn how to embrace the boundless openness of the mind and the true wisdom that arises and how peace abides. In this journey of life, we often encounter a multitude of ideas that shape our perceptions, our beliefs, and our actions. Many of them come to us from the media, from social media. More so, they come from our peers, they come from our family, They come from our experiences. We are always learning. We are always taking on new information. And while some ideas may serve us well for a time, clinging to them rigidly can lead to suffering and stagnation. The wisdom of non-attachment invites us to explore the true nature of ideas and embrace a more liberated and compassionate way of living. Many of the ideas, the notions, the concepts that I clung to as a teenager, as a young adult, are not with me today. They have changed. They have evolved. They have, some of them just have just been abandoned because while I am still me, I am not necessarily that person. We as humans, we tend to become more of who we already are as we age. And that is largely because we stop caring so much about the pressure that society puts on us. And we let go of some of our people pleasing notions and our people pleasing habits. And with that transition from living in a very young, ego-based way to one that is more open to being and living as a true, vibrant, authentic expression, we often have to let go of some of the ideas that we had with our younger, ego-based worldview. Yet there are some people I know who I'm not sure how to put this in a Quakerly way, but they cling to these ideas. They, they have not evolved their worldview. They have not evolved their thinking. They have not evolved their perceptions at all in 20, 30, 40 years. And it is certainly their prerogative to do so. It is certainly their prerogative to live life and perceive the world the way they wish. But I find it often keeps people stuck in the worldview and the actions and the behaviors that they were living with when they were teenagers, when they were college students, when they were in their young twenties, when they were starting to just sort of find their feet in the world, they found something that worked for them, that gave them some measure of comfort that helped their ego feel seen, and they just ran with it. And that ended up becoming an identity that served them over the subsequent decades, even though that is no longer... world in which they live and had they been willing and open to evolving as time went on they may be happier they may be healthier they may have had more fulfilling relationships as a quaker buddhist something that is critical to my perception of the world is that we are all every single one of us We're all spiritual beings who are here in this incarnation, in this body, because we are meant to be having a human experience. There are lessons that we need to be going through that enable us to grow, that enable our souls to learn. Lessons that we would not be going through had we incarnated as a raccoon but lessons that are only available to us as a human being. So we are divine. We do have that of God in us. And we are here in this incarnation to help our divinity, to help our bit of God learn and grow and become more integrated and fulfill this part of the soul contract so that we can, in our next incarnation, become even more integrated and healthier, and we can move through these cycles of rebirth and knowledge and growth. This rebirth and knowledge and growth, I believe, is going to happen whether you want it to or not, and it is our physicalness, our bodies, our human suits that are going to have a significant impact on whether or not we move through this kindly or whether or not it is a painful experience that we end up repeating our brains are very much human brains our egos are very much human egos and the more that our egos feed our worldview, the more we reinforce these unhealthy concepts and notions and ideas that our egos have allowed us to find comfort in, the more we are going to remain in this middle ground where we just sort of we just sort of wander through the days, we just sort of wander through life. We do not grow, we do not evolve, we just we just sort of chill and we just while away the time until seventy five years go by and we die and then it's over. Then we repeat the process. Part of what is challenging with these human brains and part of why we find comfort in some of these concepts and ideas is because it is challenging for us, especially as we age, to embrace new ideas, new concepts, new ways of thinking, new worldviews. But if we do, if we make a concerted effort to be open minded, if we make a concerted effort to release our attachment to the preconceived notions that we already have, it becomes easier for us to grow and to evolve and become happier, healthier, calmer people. So, a few things that we can put into practice today is to work on examining our deeply held beliefs and ideas. So are there beliefs, ideas that you're hanging on to that have become rigid and unyielding? So ideas, thanks to this human consciousness that we are all so blessed with, flow like streams and clinging to them is an act of futility. And this act can hinder your growth and your understanding. It's like trying to cling to running water. Yeah, many people do. Many people do. I've done it. I'm sure you've done it. But embracing the flow of these ideas and these thoughts and recognizing that every thought that comes into your mind is not necessarily a valid thought, a true thought, a thought worth clinging to, is a powerful basis for moving forward through This act of letting go of our attachment to thoughts. Something you can practice today is start looking at the beauty of impermanence and allow new insights and concepts to flow freely as a result. You can also work on cultivating an open mind. Like a vast sky that is ready to embrace whatever grows up from the earth beneath it. Instead of clinging to specific notions, you can remain receptive and curious about the diversity of perspectives around you. This is particularly challenging with all of the echo chambers in which everybody is living. It is very difficult to be presented by a diverse opinion and not immediately see that as a threat against who you are, against what you believe. And this feeling of threat is often reinforced by the people that we associate with, by the things that we hear, by the things that we see, by what we read. But if you can spend a few moments today when you are Interacting with someone and they are presenting you with an idea that is dichotomous to your own, just remind yourself that this is not about you. This is not personal. Everybody is entitled to voice their opinions. You are entitled to disagree with their opinions. Disagreeing with their opinions does not make you. A bad person nor does it make you a better person it just makes you a different person and releasing that ego attachment to the words that other people are saying to you about what they believe will go a long way in solidifying some uh, much needed mental health and stability in today's world where we are inundated with opinions that are very often dichotomous to our own when we move in these situations with openness, when we engage with people with openness, and we just listen, it's easier to find that there is wisdom and understanding within you. Not necessarily within them, but within you. When you listen, when you take on board, and when you don't engage from a place of ego. Something else that you can work on today is to recognize that the attachment of ideas or two ideas fuels judgment and prejudice. You do not need to, to label every idea that comes your way, whether from inside your head or outside of your head, as good or bad, right or wrong. There is a concept in Buddhism called the middle way, which is something we will spend an entire podcast episode on. And there is, with the middle path, there's compassion, there is acceptance, there's understanding that every idea, every person, every thought that is expressed by a person does have its place in the grand tapestry of existence. It is all connected. It all contributes to the world and the energy in which we live. Non-attachment, by releasing our attachments to the judgment, to the ego-based responses, to the innate vitriol that we sometimes feel welling up inside our bellies. When we release that attachment, we can liberate ourselves from the burdens of desire and aversion. We can release our grip on ideas. We can find freedom from conflicts both internal and external. And this this sense of peace, it normally starts off very, very small. It's just a little glimmer. When you start to feel that not everything is a fight, not everything is your fight, not everything is deserving of your ego's reaction, that peace just starts off as a little teeny, tiny glimmer on the horizon. And the less you engage in these attachment-oriented, judgment-oriented, vitriolic, ego-based opinions and thoughts and cycles within your mind, that peace grows. That little teeny tiny glimmer of peace on the horizon, it starts to grow. It gets a little bit bigger and then a little bit bigger. And before you know it, that newfound peace is a beacon and it guides you Towards a more tranquil and harmonious way of being. But as that that peace grows and it becomes warm and you start to see it more and more, you can't help but gravitate towards it. Life, this this human existence that we are so blessed to be taking part in is one of constant flow. There is change, there are ideas, and everything is subject to transformation. Nothing is today as it will be tomorrow. Nothing is today as it was yesterday. You are not the same as you were yesterday, nor are you the same as you will be tomorrow. Every single thing in this world evolves and grows. And being afraid of that and being rigid in your thinkings and your perspectives about that creates a lot of tension within the chest. It creates a lot of anxiety. It creates this overwhelming sense of fear and of inadequacy. It creates a sense of ennui. It creates this, well, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, and, and if I don't keep doing exactly what I'm doing, if I don't keep doing exactly what is comfortable then what? And we we step out of our comfort zone. We move into a space that no longer feels safe. We no longer feel comfortable, secure, loved. And our brains and our egos start to go, whoa, wait a minute, and we put the brakes on. It's like having a dream of what to do with your life and how you want to live and how you want to show up in the world and the pace of the world that in which you want to live. And the way you want to wake up in the morning, who you want to wake up with. It's like knowing what you want, but not knowing how to get there. And what happens is you cling. You cling to what you're doing now because it is familiar. It is comfortable. It is safe. Your ego goes, it's okay here. I'm good here. Because humans, remember we are spiritual beings having a human existence, a human experience. We, thanks to these beautiful yet flawed human brains, will almost always choose a comfortable but less fulfilling certain life over an exciting, fulfilling, unknown future. We will always choose what is right here in front of us, what is comfortable, what feels safe, no matter how deeply unfulfilling it is, no matter how our soul feels lost. We choose what is uncomfortable, I'm sorry, we choose what is comfortable over what is uncomfortable, but yet to be seen, yet to be known. And this is also a way in which attachment can create some serious problems for us. It is the attachment to the ideas, to the comfort, to our ego feeling safe that is keeping us from living the life that we dream of. And so as you are moving through your day today, you can just spend a few moments embracing the natural processes of change and of growth as they come into your world. Notice that ideas are able to evolve and adapt and expand and you don't have to respond to everything from a place of ego. Give your ego permission to take the day off and notice the way that you're thinking and you're feeling about the people that you interact with, about the ideas they express, the ideas you experience in your own head, about your life plan, and about the life you're living now, notice how those start to soften when you give your ego permission to take the day off. That is what I want you to have for your big takeaway today. Release that attachment. Acknowledge that just for today, let's just see what happens Today, the world will not come crashing down. If you start to put a plan together to live life the way that you want, the world is not going to come crashing down. It's a small step. If you start to put the habits and the routines and the structure in place for you to live the way that you want to live, for you to show up the way you want to show up, the world is not going to come crashing down. And when you do these things incrementally, your ego feels a little bit safer, feels a little bit more protected, and you awaken the idea of releasing the attachment to the known, to the familiar. You are giving your ego permission To embrace the unknown, to step out of your comfort zone, to experience ideas and people and thoughts and life that is a little bit different than what you are used to. And just like the lotus flower, as it emerges from murky waters and it starts to expand and the blossom starts to open up on the surface, your wisdom... Your inner knowingness, your, your divine spark, your that of God in you will also blossom when you embrace the fluidity of ideas, when you embrace the fluidity of life, and when you give yourself permission to act in a way that your ego may find unsafe. In the boundless realm of non-attachment, we can find freedom from the limitations of the mind. We can find freedom from the limitations of the ego. And when we start to embrace the flow of ideas with a gentle heart, we uncover the true essence of our inner wisdom and the joy of living in harmony with the ever-changing world around you and allowing that harmony to grow on the horizon, to go from a little glimmer to a bright beacon that guides you forward to the life that in your heart you know you want to live.